I try to put the vast majority of my energy into the things I have control over and I try to let go of or untether from or disregard the things that I don't. And I'm of the belief that the only two things I have 100% control over 100% of the time is my own effort and my own attitude. So to me, that's what's most important. So in any given situation, whether I'm talking about taking my children to dinner or I'm talking about stepping on stage in front of a large audience or I'm talking about being a guest on your podcast, I'm trying to put most of my energy into having a great effort and maintaining a great attitude and learn to let go of the things that I have no control over. Uh, I find that if we start to worry too much about the things we don't have control over, it negatively impacts the things that we do. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and today's guest is world-renowned coach, speaker, and author, Alan Stein Jr. Alan spent 15-plus years working with the highest-performing basketball players on the planet, including Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, and Stephen Curry. He now teaches audiences how to utilize the same strategies in business that elite athletes use to perform at a world-class level. Alan inspires and empowers everyone he works with to take immediate action and improve their mindset, habits, and productivity. In today's episode, Alan shares how to build and maintain self-confidence and how to detach from outcomes and embrace the process. We also talk about why it's so important to stay focused on your effort and attitude and how to stay present while experiencing stress so that you can use it to your advantage. Our discussion also gets into how to develop discipline so that you can create long-lasting changes in your life and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Alan Stein Jr. to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's so great to be with you, man. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. Me too. And I know you've helped some of the best athletes in the world optimize their mindset, their performance, and just their outlook and attitude on life. And I want to start there because I think so many people struggle to build confidence within themselves to not only feel positive about where they're going in life, but feel positive about like who they are as a human being. What would you say are the main principles to building self-confidence that's sustainable? The very first thing when it comes to building confidence is being conscious of your self-talk and the way that you talk to yourself. I think I could make a pretty compelling case that the things we say to ourselves are probably the most important things we say in this world. And we have to make sure that we're speaking to ourselves in a way that will help us move forward, in a way that encourages, that supports. I mean, we always want to hold ourselves accountable and we want to have high self-discipline. But it's been my experience that one of the things that erodes confidence is when we get hyper self-critical, when we're very judgmental, um, when we stack emotions like shame or guilt on top of ourselves, maybe after we've made a mistake or or said or done something that, that we could have done better. So I think it always starts with the way that we talk to ourselves. And an exercise that I've used, kind of a reframing tool over the years, is I do the best I can to talk to myself with the same love and grace 
that I would talk to a friend, you know, if, and I know you and I are, are just getting acquainted, but let's just hypothesize and say that we've been friends for a decade and we're really good friends. And, and you call me up one night and say, Alan, man, I had a really tough day. You know, just the, the ball never seemed to bounce my way. I made some bad decisions. Like I'm really struggling right now. As your friend, the last thing I would do would be to try to pile on top of that with criticism or judgment or try to shame you or make you feel guilty. I would lean into, on some level, try to comfort you and support you. I mean, I'd hold you accountable, but I'd let you know, hey, you know, you're strong enough to get through this. You will see better days and just know that I believe in you and I care about you. That, that would be my overall tone and how I would approach you as a good friend. Well, I've learned that I need to approach myself in that same manner. I make mistakes all of the time, as does everyone. I mean, I'm, I'm flawed and I'm fallible and I say and do boneheaded things from time to time. And sometimes I do things that maybe I, I didn't show up as my best self. And I've learned to give myself some grace and space and being less than perfect. So confidence absolutely starts with that. And there's a few other pillars that I think help build confidence if you want to unpack those as well. Yeah, I want to unpack them. But first, I want to go into something that you said and you talked about if the ball doesn't go your way or you make a mistake. It's like, how do you maintain a positive outlook and confidence during those situations? Because it's easy to feel confident about yourself when things are going really, really well. The challenge becomes when things aren't. And so with you working with some of the most successful people in the world, would you say that you believe that a lot of confidence comes from their ability to bounce back from failure or does it more so come from when they actually achieve the, the thing, achieve the title, achieve the MVP award and that sort of thing? Well, it's a little bit of both and it's somewhat circular because the only way they're able to make those types of achievement is if they have a healthy relationship with failure and they understand that that's part of the overall experience, that no one achieves anything of of notoriety without having some bumps and bruises and some speed bumps and so forth. So that relationship with failure is crucial. And for me, you know, there's three things that I try to focus on the most. Uh, one is I've, I've learned to, to focus on the next play, learn to let go of whatever just happened, even if what just happened didn't go so well or it wasn't my preference, but learn to quickly refocus the lens on what's about to happen. Because I don't wanna drag baggage from the past into the present moment. You know, that's gonna cause this spiraling, downward spiraling effect of confidence. Uh, the second thing I do is I try to put the vast majority of my energy into the things I have control over and I try to let go of or untether from or disregard the things that I don't. And I'm of the belief that the only two things I have 100% control over 100% of the time is my own effort and my own attitude. So to me, that's what's most important. So in any given situation, whether I'm talking about taking my children to dinner or I'm talking about stepping on stage in front of a large audience or I'm talking about being a guest on your podcast, I'm trying to put most of my energy into having a great effort and maintaining a great attitude and learn to let go of the things that I have no control over. Uh, I find that if we start to worry too much about the things we don't have control over, it negatively impacts the things that we do. And then the other part of that, which really has helped me build confidence in many areas of my life, is I, I put my energy and focus into the process. I have goals, I have North Stars, I have desired outcomes, I have preferences, but I've learned not to attach my self-worth, my self-belief, 
or my self-confidence to those outcomes. Instead, I put it into the process and making that shift into being much more process-oriented and just letting outcomes happen the way they're going to happen has really helped me uh, elevate my confidence, but also elevate my mental wellness. Mm. You mentioned focusing on the next play, and I know like this is essentially, it's like a basketball analogy, and in that context, like the players, they have something to look forward to. Like when they mess up, like they have to still be in the game in many cases to be able to focus on what's next. In life sometimes though, people, they don't have that thing to look forward to maybe. Maybe they made a mistake and they're like, well, I don't see my next relationship right now. I don't see my next job. Is there a process that you found to be able to use that concept to be able to move on to the next thing while also maybe looking at like where things went wrong in the past to be able to use that situation as an opportunity for growth? Well, I do believe in learning from the past and I absolutely believe in preparing for the future. I just don't believe in spending too much time in either one of those places. For me personally, and that's all this is, is me sharing my own approach, is I try to be as present as possible as consistently as possible. I mean, there are absolutely times where it would be valuable to look backwards and learn from certain mistakes or mishaps. But I also recognize that I can't change the events of the past. I mean, those are those are set in stone. Now I can change my relationship or my feelings or my perspective on things in the past. You know, there could be something in my past that at the time I viewed as the worst thing that ever happened to me. And now with some maturity and some life experience and the gift of hindsight, I can now look back and go, that actually was one of the best things to ever happen to me. Although the events never changed, my relationship with them did. There is value in that. And same thing with the future. I mean, I believe in preparing for the future. I believe in making decisions today that my future self will thank me for. But I also recognize that you can never actually be in the future. The future is always 100% hypothetical. The only time we can be in the future is in language or in our mind through imagery, but you can't ever be in the future because whenever you get to the future, it's now the present. I mean, the future is always an arm's distance away. It, it reminds me of uh, one of the funniest, but yet one of the deepest signs that I've ever seen. There was a bar one time and they had a huge neon sign and it said, free beer tomorrow. And it makes me chuckle because you first see that sign and most people are like, oh gosh, I'm coming back tomorrow. And then it takes a second to realize, yeah, but when I get there tomorrow, it still says free beer tomorrow. So it's always at an arm's distance away. And that's kind of how the future is. And it's been my experience in my life that you can create a tremendous amount of discomfort by constantly living in the past or trying to project into the future. If you're willing to dial into what's happening right in front of you and have an appreciation and a gratitude for this moment, wherever you are in life, that's another way that can help build grit and resilience, but also add to our confidence level. I don't have to worry about what happened yesterday. I don't need to worry about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Let me just focus on what's in front of me. You know, right now at this time, you, and by default, your audience, have my 100% attention. You have my full focus. This is the only thing I'm concerned with at present is having a, a stimulating conversation with you that I know we both hope adds value to your audience. I'm not worried about anything I had going on this morning or yesterday. I'm not thinking about what else I have going on later today. I'm in it to win it with you right now. And you know, there's a, a quote that says, in order to win the moment, you have to be in the moment. And my goal is most of my time, I want to be in the present moment that I'm in. 
How do people get into the present moment, right? I know you've worked with a lot of successful basketball players where there's so much pressure on them to hit a shot or to make a play. And in life, people have that same type of pressure in their personal lives and professional lives. And I know you've done a lot of work on this for yourself to stay present. Like, what are some steps that you had to take to be able to get more you know, present in your life to be able to have like this hyper focus that you're having with me right now? Well, it always starts with awareness and awareness is the first step to improvement in any area of our life because you will never fix something you're unaware of. You will never improve something you're oblivious to. So the key to being in the present moment is having a conscious awareness of when you're not. It's being aware of when is your mind wandering? When are you distracted? You know, when are you living in the past or trying to live into the future? And it's having an awareness of that. And, you know, full disclosure, I mean, I'm far from mastery on this. Anything I share on stage and anything I share on page is not coming from a place of mastery. Um, these are all things that I'm still working on. And, and I'll say with a huge smile, but a massive stroke of humility that being in the present moment might be the most challenging thing I have to do every single day of my life because it is so easy to get distracted by the past or anxious by the future. And now that we live in a society where, you know, most people choose to be tethered to their electronic devices 24-7, we have so many things bombarding us every moment of every day that are trying to steal our attention, for lack of a better word. And it's up to us to put guardrails up and frameworks in place that can allow us to be in the moment. So I had heard, and, and this was probably a decade ago, and I, I heard it from Nick Saban and I heard it from Oprah Winfrey. So two pretty high performers to say the least. And they had a term that was to be where your feet are. And, and that's really the mantra or the, the trigger, if you will, that I say to myself dozens and dozens of times a day, be where your feet are. Meaning wherever you are in the physical, Make sure your mind and your heart are in the same place. So, you know, right now, I want all of my faculties in alignment to be present with you, heart, mind, body, and soul with you and your audience right now. It's when we start to have those things splinter off. And, you know, I might be in the room with you, but I'm focused on what I'm doing on my phone. So I'm not really with you mentally or emotionally. I'm just, you know, in the room with you. I'm trying to alleviate and eliminate as much of that as possible. And when I'm gonna be with someone, I try to be with someone and trust me, I am far from perfect with that. But what I can say is I've made improvement. I've made progress. I'm able to be more present, more consistently today than in any other previous time in my life. But it starts with an awareness. It starts with, I'm out to dinner with my children, but I find myself thinking about the keynote that I have to give the next day. And I realize that I'm not really being present with my children because I'm trying to transport myself to the future. And it usually just takes a few seconds for me to remember that's what I'm doing. And then I say, just be where your feet are. And it snaps me back into what I need to do. Yeah, the ability to compartmentalize things in life is so, so important. And you mentioned self-awareness. You talked about controlling the controllables. And I know that's like something that you hear a lot of people say when it comes to getting through hard times, overcoming adversity. How can somebody, like if they're listening to this, they're like, all right, I know this is important. I've heard control the controllables. I know what it means. Like how can somebody understand like what their controllables are? Like, what are is there like an exercise you would have them do to understand like what are the things they needed to actually focus on that are going to move the needle? What types of questions should they ask themselves? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast 
and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, I mean, I'm such a simple guy and I believe in the basics and I believe in the fundamentals and I try to make things as simplified as possible. I, I think complexity undermines execution. So when we try to make things too complex or we try to sound too smart, it actually makes things harder. So for me, it really just comes down to those two buckets I shared earlier, effort and attitude, you know, and any given moment, whether we're talking about a relationship, we're talking about me being a guest on your show, or we're talking about me being on stage, whatever it is, you know, am I giving the best effort I'm capable of giving in this time to show up as the best version of myself? And that is something I hold myself to a very high standard on. And then the other is attitude. You know, and, and under attitude, you know, and, and I'm using it kind of in a way that would be synonymous with mindset. But for me, you know, the foundation of what I would call a winner's mindset is simply the attempt to do the best you can with what you have wherever you are. And the reason I find that so powerful is if you can do that, you automatically eliminate a trilogy of behaviors that I think is where most people go off the rails. And that is blaming, complaining, and making excuses. That is another area of my life that I've worked really hard to improve over the last five to 10 years is, and I won't say eliminate because eliminate implies perfection and life is not a perfect game. We are not perfect as human beings. So I'll never eliminate blaming, complaining, and making excuses, but I have made tremendous progress in drastically reducing their occurrence and reducing the temptation to doing them because blaming, complaining, and making excuses will never improve your situation, will never make your life better, will never move you forward, but the temptation is always there. I mean, it is such an easy default for most people when things don't go well, when they don't perform at the level they're capable of, when they don't get the outcomes that they had hoped for, you know, they blame someone or something else, they make an excuse for why they didn't get what they wanted or why they didn't perform at a high level, and then they complain about circumstances and complain about things outside of their control. So I found that when I can just focus on doing the best I can with what I have wherever I am, eliminate or try to drastically reduce the temptation to blame, complain, and make excuses, then what I'm doing is I'm holding myself fully accountable. Jocko Willink, the famous retired Navy SEAL, talks about an attitude of extreme ownership, and I'm a huge supporter and believer in that concept. You know, And this goes back to the attitude portion. I fully recognize that I do not control what goes on in the outer world. Uh, circumstances, events, what people say, what people do, but I absolutely control my response to those things, which means I control my inner world. And that's where I try to put my focus, on my effort and my attitude when it comes to how do I respond to what the world throws at me. And if I can put 
most of my energy and attention and focus into those things and learn to relinquish and surrender and accept and let go of everything else, then I find I'm, I'm pretty emotionally agile. And another kind of tweetable saying that I just love is, if you're not emotionally agile, you're emotionally fragile. And I don't think you can be fulfilled. I don't think you can perform at a high level. And I don't think you can achieve anywhere close to your potential if you're emotionally fragile. So these are all the moving parts that I'm trying to to work on on myself every single day. And the last thing I'll say, because I know this was a mouthful, and this was a lesson I learned directly from Kobe Bryant back in 2007, was the distinction between basic and easy. Everything I'm sharing with you right now, I believe are very basic principles. I don't think this stuff is very complicated, but none of this stuff that I'm sharing is easy. I know it's not easy for me. Being in the present moment is not easy. Not blaming, complaining, and making excuses is not easy. Uh, Not getting anxious about a future that may not even happen is not easy, but they're still basic principles. And, And I just constantly remind myself that performing at a high level, being fulfilled, showing up as your best self, these things are really challenging to do consistently. So how can somebody begin to develop some level of discipline to be able to master these basics, especially if there's somebody who maybe they haven't had the best habits, they haven't had the best mindset or lifestyle for years prior? Well, the first thing they need to do is give themselves some grace and some kindness and to recognize and acknowledge that the past is in the past. So it it won't serve them to consistently dwell on the fact that I've had so many bad habits and I've made so many bad decisions and my life isn't where I want it to be right now. All of that may be true, you know, their truth, but dwelling and looking backwards isn't going to help. What they need to be able to do is say, I'm thankful that I now have an awareness that the way I was behaving and the way I was thinking previously was not serving me and it put me on a path that was not leading to fulfillment or high performance. So I'm incredibly grateful that I now have the awareness that it's time to make a change. And I'm gonna give myself some patience, some kindness and the grace and space to start making these changes moving forward. And I'm gonna start really small and I'm gonna see if I can just make some minor tweaks to my habits, to my discipline, to my mindset moving forward, but I'm gonna give myself some patience and I'm, I'm gonna aim to start to create some momentum and I'm gonna celebrate the small wins that I have and then I'm gonna try and stack and build from there. And for me, what I tell people all of the time is, don't worry so much about where you are in this moment, focus much more, be more concerned with the direction at which you're headed. And as long as your personal arrow is pointed forward or pointed up, whichever terminology you like better, as long as you know you're moving in the right direction, be grateful for that and have some pride in that and then continue to kind of stack those small wins. A quote that I heard from Apollo Ono, the famous figure skater, and I heard this maybe a decade ago as well, was this concept of be greater than yesterday. He had the word be and then he used the greater sign from math and then yesterday. And that is always imprinted in my mind. Can I be better than I was yesterday? And, and really that's kind of my, my goal, if you will, my North Star every successive year of my life. You know, I'm not real big on New Year's resolutions and so forth, but you know, I can tell you right now that in 2023, my goal is to have slightly better habits than I had in 2022. Can I make slightly better decisions in most areas of my life in 2023 than I did in 2022? Can I have just a little bit more discipline this year than I did last year? And, you know, I'm 47 years old. And, and if I can have small, progressive, 
incremental systematic improvements and tweaks to these big areas, then each successive year of my life should continue to get better and better. And But it starts with the small things. So to answer your question, because I know I, I kind of went off on a tangent, if someone doesn't like where they've been in the past or, or some of the habits or mindsets or perspectives they've had, take a deep breath and look to make small, progressive, systematic, incremental improvements. Don't look to make large, massive, sweeping changes, and definitely don't beat yourself up for things that are in the rearview mirror. Get excited and optimistic by looking through the, the windshield, rather. Yeah, keeping your eyes forward. And I love Apollo Ono. He's been a guest on the podcast and provided some immense value when he came on. So I highly recommend people going back and checking that episode out as well. But staying on this topic, and you know, you talk about you know becoming like a better version of yourself every day. Like keep making sure that the arrow and where you're going is pointed forward. This goes into the next thing I want to talk to you about, and that how do people stay optimistic and confident and measure progress when they're doing the right things, but they're not seeing like these external results, right? Because I know that you're you know when you when you focus on outcomes, that can be measurable, right? Money can be measurable, weight loss can be measurable you know, followers can be measurable, like all these things, but you don't want to focus on that, right? So how can somebody, you know, how can somebody be able to stay optimistic and be able to see progress in the midst of their journey? Well, I do love outcomes and goals for a few reasons. One, they can provide clarity and they can help provide direction to make sure you're moving what you want to move towards. And I do love things that are measurable. And I agree, you know, if your goal is to lose 10 pounds of body fat before the summer, that the scale or the skin fold calipers can be a way to measure that progress. And there's nothing wrong with that. What I want people to be wary of is attaching your self-worth and your self-belief and your confidence to those outcomes because we don't get all of the outcomes we desire and all of our preferences in life aren't met. When you can learn to, and this to me is the big secret, when you can learn to love the process, you know, in this example, a very rudimentary example, when you can learn to enjoy making healthy nutritional decisions, when you can learn to enjoy physical exercise and movement, when you can learn to embrace what a good night's sleep and staying well hydrated does for you, then you've already won. Even if you don't lose the 10 pounds, if you love doing the things that actually would lead to that, then you've already won in advance. And that's the key is learning to love the work, learning to love the commitment and sacrifices you make during the unseen hours. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they're all, you know, uh, as they say, puppy dogs, rainbows, and ice cream, but can you get some enjoyment and have some pride in doing these little things? And if you enjoy eating healthy food and you enjoy moving your body and getting out and getting some sunshine and you enjoy staying hydrated and getting good sleep, and then the scale doesn't reflect what you had hoped it would, it's more palatable because you're enjoying what it is that you're doing. And uh, that is very easy for me to say. It's not always easy to do, but when you can learn to love the process of the work, you know, I'll use a firsthand example for me. So I'm the author of two books, Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. And I thoroughly enjoyed the writing and the research and the organization process for doing both of those books. Of course, it would be my preference that both books sell millions and millions of copies. That is my preference, but we don't always get our preferences, and I certainly haven't sold millions and millions of copies, but I sleep fine at night, and I'm very proud of both of those books because I enjoyed the work that went into them. I'm proud of the actual finished product. Uh, I don't control how many people buy the book or how many people share it or how many people leave a review, so I try not to tether to those things. 
I can have my preferences, but it doesn't mean I'm tethered to them. And I'm already starting to work on a third book because I just enjoy what that brings in my life and the process of doing that. So to me, a lot of it does swing back to don't worry about how many Instagram followers you have. Focus on putting out content that you enjoy putting out and that you believe is in service of others and just let the follower count fall where it may. Same thing with, you know, body. I'm a fairly vain person. I want to look and feel the best I'm capable of, but I'm not worried whether or not men's health is gonna call me and do a special for men over 45 and put me on the cover. Instead, I'm gonna take pride in making sure that my body feels good, that I move my body, that I eat healthy food, that I take care of this physical vehicle, and then I just let the way I look Just let those chips fall where they may. And, you know, I have parts of my body that I wish were different and I have certain insecurities like anybody else does, but I learned not to focus on those and instead put it back on the work and on the process. And that has probably been one of the biggest shifts that I've made, you know, from the the 20 and 30 year old Alan to the now almost 50 year old Alan is that love and appreciation for doing the work. I love that, focusing on the process. And you mentioned sustain your game. And I want to talk about sustainability because a lot of times people will jump out the gate like super fast and they'll try to achieve so much all at once or they'll they'll be so hyper-focused on a goal that things will go super well for the first few weeks because they've pretty much sacrificed their entire life to do this thing. But then they hit a roadblock and they realize like, wow, I can't keep up at this speed. And that ends up sometimes derailing people. So what are some steps somebody can take to make sure that whatever journey they're on, whatever it's related to, how can they make sure it's actually sustainable? When I was researching that book, and to be clear, both books, Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game, at those times in my life, I was writing the book that I needed to read myself. I find it somewhat liberating and therapeutic to write and research on the very things that are troubling me or things that I need to learn more about or that I'm challenged with. And the main three pillars or concepts in Sustain Your Game were three things that have plagued me for most of my life, and that is stress, stagnation, and burnout. And by uncovering some some principles and some strategies to manage stress and avoid stagnation and beat burnout, it's allowed me to kind of elevate my mindset and my performance to a to a whole new level. But the concept of sustainability, being able to do something for the long term, you really have to learn how to juggle those three things. Stress is usually something we kind of feel in the moment. It's kind of short term. Stagnation, I've found, is something that kind of happens in that that midterm. And then burnout can be, I mean, it doesn't have to be over long periods of time, but burnout is usually a result of an accumulation of both stress and stagnation. So we have to be conscious of all three of those things. And yeah, there'll always be times in our life where we need to have kind of a a short jolt, if you will. I mean, any parent will know that, you know, when you have a newborn, those first couple of years you're probably not going to get as much peaceful sleep as you can at other stages in your life, but it's kind of a short-term sacrifice to make as you're raising a new baby. Same thing with maybe as an entrepreneur, you know, when you're in the startup phase of your company, those first few years where you have to wear every hat and you're responsible for everything, you know, that can start to stack up or, or maybe you have a, a proposal in and you have a big deadline for a project and you know for the next six weeks, you're gonna be burning that midnight oil to get it done. As long as you're conscious that those are kind of exceptions to the rule and that those are short sprints within a long-term marathon, 
then you can still navigate appropriately and make that sustainable. But if you don't have that perspective or awareness and you think that you're going to be capable of going pedal to the metal for you know an extended period of time with no end in sight, you will absolutely burn yourself out and that is not sustainable. So for me, as a professional speaker, I've learned, I'm in my sixth year of doing this now, the calendar kind of has some trends to it. Like January and February are really, really busy months for a professional speaker. July and August usually aren't as busy. September and November get back. So I've learned that there are gonna be times where I'm gonna be traveling a lot more and I'm gonna be on a lot more stages. So I need to prepare for those. But then I also have to balance that with the fact there'll be some slower months where I'm not as busy and there's some things that I can do to take advantage of that time. So some of it too is stepping backwards and looking kind of uh, from a macro level, depending on your craft or your vocation or what it is that you're trying to improve and see if there's some ebbs and flows to that. Take a typical NBA player. You know, they've got a very long and intense in season but then they've got an off season and then they've got a preseason and they balance each of those blocks slightly differently so that the entire year is now manageable. And in the case of a player like a LeBron James, or if we switch over to football, recently retired Tom Brady, the reason those guys were able to play at the highest level for two decades was they understood that there was gonna be some ebbs and flows and they had to make concessions and do things differently, which is what allowed them to sustain greatness for such long periods of time. And I try to have that same approach in, in everything else that I do. You talked about stress and how stress has plagued you off and on throughout your life. And I think that does impact people every single day. What are some of the tactics that you've used in your own personal journey to be able to use stress to your advantage? The absolute game changer for me occurred when I was researching for Sustain Your Game. And I'm a huge fan of a gentleman named Eckhart Tolle. And if any of your listeners aren't familiar, he's kind of a modern day philosopher for lack of a better word. And he said something that just resonated really strongly with me and it, it changed my entire perspective on stress. And he said stress is the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. Full stop. Like it doesn't have to be any more complex than that. Stress is the desire for things to be different than they are. So we can unpack that because that literally just hit me like a, a cold bucket of water. What it made me realize was stress is not caused by outside factors. My personal stress is caused by my resistance to those outside factors. It's not that traffic is inherently stressful. It's my desire for every car to get out of my way so I can go where I want to go. That's what's actually causing my stress. So on some level, stress is invited. It's self-created. Now to clarify, I'm not talking about a biological stress response. If I'm walking in the middle of a street and a car comes at 90 miles an hour and screeches on its brakes and stops three inches short of my kneecaps, I will feel a rush of adrenaline. I will feel my armpits and, and palms sweat. I will feel my blood pressure and my heart rate elevate. That is a physiological stress response. I can't do anything about that, nor would I want to, because it's that stress response that would give me the jolt to get out of the way of a moving car and keep me safe. I'm talking about this kind of esoteric, overarching concept of stress that people just walk around saying, I'm so stressed. You know, my wife makes me stressed. My kid makes me stressed. My work makes me stressed. You know, I've got all, that's the stuff that I'm saying. If we reframe it, 
we're inviting a good portion of that in. So what I've learned to do for myself is when I'm feeling stressed, which still happens all of the time because I'm a human, I've learned to take a beat, take a breath, just pause and ask myself how I'm complicit to making myself feel. And it's usually because my preferences aren't being met and I wish something was different. And when I've learned to actually surrender to what is and accept what is, even if it's not my preference, that immediately helps me alleviate stress. So it is not my preference to sit in traffic and I'm late for a lunch meeting. That's not my preference. But I also can say with a a huge smile that I don't always get my preferences in life. And whoever's in charge of this universe, it's not their job to make sure Alan Stein Jr. gets every preference and that every moment of my day, you know, is exactly the way I want it to be. I remind myself that while sitting in traffic is not my preference, no matter how upset I get, no matter how many times I honk the horn or white knuckle the steering wheel or how many times I give someone the finger, All that is doing is adding stress to my life. It is not changing the circumstances. It's not getting the cars to get out of my way. It's not getting me where I want to be any quicker. All I'm doing is punishing myself by having this desire for these cars to move out of the way. So I've learned just to have a level of acceptance and just say, okay, I'm sitting in traffic. It's not ideal. You know, I can call the person that I'm meeting for lunch and tell them I'll be a few minutes late. And then I can choose my response. I can listen to a podcast. I can call a friend. I can just enjoy some quiet and some stillness or roll down the windows and have some fresh air. Like the automatic default to sitting in traffic does not have to be a stressful one. That's something that we choose. And many people have been choosing that for so many years and decades that they believe it is an automatic default. But I'm a living example that it's not. We can actually pause and make a choice to respond in a more in a way that serves us better. And that is not easy by any means. And don't think for one second that I still don't occasionally revert to old tendencies when I'm sitting in traffic here in the DC area. Yeah. And you talked about preferences and, and looking at like that that can be in a way, th- things can be misaligned there. How can somebody know when they actually need to make a change towards one of their preferences versus that just being like a want versus a need? It's my belief that almost everything that humans desire and covet is on the want side, not on the need side. I mean, if you really break it down, our needs are pretty basic. And I'm fairly well-traveled as a human being, especially when I was in the game of basketball. I was able to travel the whole world, and you get to see a lot of different people in different cultures. And sometimes I think we forget, even in the most poverty-stricken areas of the United States, what an affluent nation we are. And this is not to place judgment. I have nothing but compassion for people that are struggling financially in any capacity. But you go to some other parts of the world and you will see what real poverty is. I mean, people that are literally, they need to live on like a dollar a day. They have no clue where their next meal is coming from. You know, don't always have access to clean water. I mean, it absolutely breaks my heart. And it is a reminder in many of these places you still see joy. You still see happiness. You see people that by our standard here in the United States, we think they have nothing. And in reality, they have everything because they have a level of joy and contentment. They are incredibly grateful and appreciative of the things they do have, even if they're not a lot. And to me, that is a reminder when you you think of the basic needs, you know, I mean, obviously food and shelter and clothing and, and our physical safety, 
you know, but outside of that, you know, we kind of need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, and feel like we need to be a part of a community. And, you know, those things are vital. But really, once you start checking a few of those off, everything else, you know, how many Instagram followers you have, or do you have, you know, I mean, literally fill in any material item. All of those things are wants, you know, certain level of prestige, certain level of acknowledgement or the title in your job or like all of that stuff are wants. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having wants or desires or preferences, but I think that's where most people get tripped up. And, you know, I'm in most areas of my life, both in the physical and in the mental and emotional, I'm trying to work towards being more of a minimalist. Uh, I'm trying to simplify everything in my life. I'm trying to realize that more is not better in most cases. Better is better. And, and as I get older, I'm not looking to add a bunch of stuff to my life. If anything else, I'm looking to let go of the things that aren't serving me. Yeah. Master the fundamentals, right? Master the basics. Yes, absolutely. And I think during stressful situations, it can be easy to fall into the victim mindset and say, why is this happening to me? Like, I can't believe this happened and the world's against me. How do you think somebody, if you're listening to this, how can they quickly escape the victim mindset so that they don't make their situation worse? Well, first and foremost, if anyone's listening to this and that's where they are at present, they have the victim mindset, just know that I, I, I have nothing but empathy and compassion for you. There's not an ounce of judgment. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've chosen that same mindset and thought those exact same words that you just said. Why is this happening to me? And I know it sounds kind of cliche and I don't know who said this first uh, or I'd give them proper attribution, but when you can shift from, you know, why is this happening to me? And instead lean in and say, ask, why is this happening for me? What am I going to get out of this experience? What lesson can I learn? Or what strength can this help build? Or what door can this eventually open? You're basically taking the same circumstances you're just choosing to view them in a different way. And, and that's really how I try and view things now. When the ball doesn't bounce my way and things aren't lining up the way I'd prefer, I try to move past you know, the self-pity and the self-loathing and the victimhood and start asking, all right, well, what, what is something I can learn from this? Or what can I take away from this? How can I turn something that in the moment is causing me some pain and some discomfort, how can I flip that around and use this as fuel to get to a place that maybe I wouldn't have been able to get to had this not occurred. And as I said before, I wanna make that Kobe Bryant distinction again. What I'm saying is very basic and very a matter of fact. That is not easy to do. It is not easy to shift out of a mindset of victimhood into one that this is actually something that's going to empower me and move me forward. But it's still our choice. And my goal is to simply move through that trajectory you know, in a more efficient manner. And, and part of that also has to do with the people we surround ourselves with. You know, I can promise you, if the people you spend the most time with spend a lot of their time blaming, complaining, and making excuses, you will do the same. You probably are and aren't aware of it. Where if you can hang out with people that choose to look at things in the way that we've been discussing, then that's gonna kind of pull you in that direction too. So be very, very careful and cautious with the company you keep and make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that have the type of mindset and discipline and attitude that you aspire to have. Absolutely. I always say surround yourself with people that have common futures and not common pasts. And I think along the lines of, of stress and adopting the, the for you mindset, a lot of people have trouble with fear, right? Whether it's 
asking somebody out in a grocery store, whether it's, you know, requesting for somebody to be on their podcast, whether it's fill in the blank, people have trouble with rejection and fear. What are some steps that somebody can take to be able to get comfortable with things like rejection so they can be comfortable facing their fears? Well, that's certainly another area that I've tried to make strides in because there were certain things in my past that some of the things you've mentioned, yeah, they would give me a tremendous amount of anxiety. For me, I find it helpful to do a few things. One, anytime I can take a massive step back and look at the overarching big picture, that helps me personally put things in perspective. Like, I'm going to ask to be on your show, and I would really love to be a guest on your podcast. And in the moment, this is something that is really important to me. But in all reality, and with all due respect, when I pan back out, if I'm able to live to 100 years old, I don't think it would be that big of a deal if you say that I can't be on your podcast, you know? So I think putting things in a bigger perspective is helpful in one regard. Another is, and I am a huge believer that every no that we get can take us closer to a yes, especially if we're able to learn from why maybe we got a no. You know, maybe the way that I approached you and asked if I could be a guest on your podcast, maybe there's something that I can learn from that. You know, maybe I emailed you and I take a look at the email copy and I could I could have framed it differently. Or maybe instead of an email, next time I would call. Like, I can learn something from this no that can take me closer to getting a future yes. I've also learned if you, if you really want to look at it, and this is almost comical, that on some level, rejection is something else that we've kind of manufactured and created in our own mind. So, you know, prior to this conversation, I have not been on your podcast. I ask if I can be on your podcast and you politely decline. In theory, I'm no worse off than I was before unless I tell myself stories like, well, the reason I'm not on the show is because I'm not good enough, or maybe, you know, whatever it may be, but that's all a story that I'm telling myself. I am no worse off than I was before. So getting that no didn't actually take me down a peg. It just left me exactly where I was before. So there's really not as much at risk as we sometimes build up in our minds. So for me, and this happens all of the time, I mean, as a professional speaker, I'd have to go back and look through, you know, inquiries and conversions, but I probably land about one out of every three gigs that I try to speak at. So which means I hear no, I hear two no's for every one yes that I get. And I have to be resilient in this line of work. I mean, if I let those no's knock me down a peg every single time, then I'll lack the confidence that I need, the requisite confidence to actually get on stage and, and help serve people. So when I hear no's, I try to ask myself, was there anything within my control that could have potentially turned that no into a yes? If it is, then I learn from it and I apply that moving forward. If the answer is no, there's nothing else I could have done, I absolutely put my best foot forward, then I can rest peacefully at night knowing that it just wasn't the right fit and I'm okay with that. And I don't tell myself a story that the reason they didn't hire me was I, I'm not good enough or no, I don't. I try not to go down that path. I just simply say, I wasn't the right fit for their engagement, and that is okay. I'm going to put all of my focus on the next play, kind of as we mentioned before. Right. And instead of no, it's a not yet, right? I love what you said about 
understanding why it was a no, because a lot of times you hear now, it's like, okay, like your next no needs will lead you to a next yes. But yet the reason you got a no is because of something you did, right? Maybe you like treated somebody in a certain way, or you said something you shouldn't have said or should have said a different way in an email. And I think it's so important to have the self-awareness and introspection to be able to look at like, how can you do better from that no to be able to like move that closer to a yes. I want to talk about visualization. You hear a lot now about manifestation. You hear a lot about like being able to like visualize what you want. What's your take on visualization? Like, do you think that there's merit to it? If so, how can somebody visualize effectively? Absolutely. I'm a big believer in visualization and I guess kind of it's a sister, if you will, manifestation. And the key to that is putting your focus on what you want to happen, not on what you don't want to happen. And I, I know that may sound a little bit confusing at the moment, but let's go, let's use a basketball analogy, a world I'm very familiar with. If a player is stepping on the line to shoot a free throw, it is in their best interest to visualize, I'm going to make this shot, not what happens if I miss this shot. You're actually framing it in a less than ideal light. So for me, I do the best I can to project what it is that I want in this world, and then I do what I can to make decisions in the present that are in alignment with that. And uh, visualization can be done in a variety of different ways. And, you know, I'm of a believer that there's no one way to do anything. You know, I know lots of times social media gets kind of riddled with stuff where people are saying like, all right, here's the perfect morning routine. I don't believe that there is a perfect morning routine. I think each of us as individuals through some trial and error can work towards creating a routine for ourselves that works really, really well and allows us to put our best foot forward. But what I do in the morning might not be what's best for what you do. And even if you and I agree on what we do, it might not be best for all of your your listeners or your viewers. That's something that they have to figure out. And same thing with visualization. You know, some people do their visualizing because they journal every single day. Some people make time for a meditation practice. Some people may do some visualization right before they're going to step in to deliver a proposal or go on a first date or step on stage where other people might make it an actual standard part of their day where they practice. I just think everyone needs to figure those things out for themselves. But I do believe that there is a power in visualizing what it is that we desire and where it is that we're going. And there is some level of manifestation because, you know, from an energy and a vibration standpoint, we'll start moving in that direction. And the most important part though is, and I know most people know this, is it's it's not a guarantee, you know. And one of the things that I think was slightly misguided when that whole the book and that movement the secret came out was i think they made it kind of seem like if you just sit around wishing for wealth and abundance it will just show up and that's not true dang the visualizing portion yeah tell me about it <laughs> the the visualizing portion is an important step but then your actions need to follow in line your beliefs and your behaviors need to be in perfect alignment so that you start attracting the types of things that you have earned and that you have deserved, not that you've just sat around hoping and wishing for. To close things out, I want to kind of use a basketball analogy in that a lot of people in life right now, it's like halftime or it's like the third quarter and they feel like they're down 40 points and they're having a hard time no matter what they do with their effort or what they do with their plays that they're making. They just, they can't gain any ground. If you had a couple minutes with them in a, some sort of coffee shop or at a restaurant, you noticed that this was going on in their life, uh, what would you tell them? 
Well, the first thing I'd do, depending on who it was, is I'd, I'd give them a fist bump or a hug and show them that I have empathy and compassion for them and to let them know that you are not alone, that how you're feeling is part of the human condition. And on some level, everybody, even the highest performers in the world, have felt like that at some point where they felt like they're on kind of a hedonic treadmill, where they're, they're just treading water, they're not making progress, they're spinning their wheels. So I would let them know you are not alone. I'd also let them know that it's okay to not be okay, that how you're feeling right now might not be your preference, but it is part, again, of a normal human condition. And don't worry so much about where you are right now, but let's focus on the direction you're headed. The other thing I would try and get them to see is they are most likely, and I don't mean to make assumptions, but they are most likely measuring progress by external outcomes. And this goes back to a lot of what we were talking about before, is I want them to start measuring their own success and confidence and self-worth much more by the process than by the outcome. So if they're saying, you know, I, I, I wanna, whatever it is, fill in the blank, don't worry so much about whether you've reached that goal and don't let that be the be all end all to whether or not you're making progress. Ask yourself, are you having a good attitude? Are you giving a good effort? You know, are you doing the things that we discussed that are putting you on the path? And then you just need to stick with that. And if you can learn to love that path and love the work that goes with it, and you can take pride in, in working towards mastery of these fundamentals during the unseen hours, then you actually are moving forward and making progress. The scoreboard only keeps track of the external. So if you are in a basketball game and you're down 40 points, that is a measurement. But ask yourself, am I boxing out every time a shot goes up? Am I diving for loose balls? Am I setting screens? Am I making the extra pass? You know, do all of the process-oriented things and use that as your measure of success. And it has been my experience with myself and with so many people that I've worked with in sport and business, when you start doing those things, you will actually see the external, in this case, scoreboard start to shift. If you start boxing out, running the floor, setting screens, diving for loose balls, taking charges, making the extra pass, you start doing all of those things, I promise you, you will start to see your 40 point deficit start to shrink but that's because you're not focused on it. You're focused on doing the process. And the same is true for anyone and wherever they are in their life. If you feel stuck at the moment, you probably feel stuck because your scoreboard isn't moving. So don't worry about the scoreboard. Focus on the decisions you're making every single day. You know, did you get good sleep last night? Are you well hydrated? Are you blocking out time and prioritizing self-care like physical movement and eating well? Are you doing the types of things that fill your bucket mentally, physically, and emotionally? Are you going into situations with the best attitude and effort that you're capable of? When things aren't working out for you, can you resist the temptation to blame, complain, and make excuses and hold yourself accountable? You start doing all of that stuff, I promise you whatever you're using as a scoreboard will start to show improvement. I love that. What a way to finish. So Alan, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. If people want to connect with you, if they want to buy your books, where's the best place to do that? So my website, alansteinjr.com is kind of the hub for everything. If anyone listening, if, if you're ever looking for a keynote speaker or a workshop for an event or for your team, you can find the information at alansteinjr.com. You can find info on either book, 
raise your game or sustain your game on Amazon or Audible or wherever you like to get your books and audiobooks. And I'm very active and very responsive and accessible on social media. I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. So if any part of this conversation struck a chord, if you've got a question, if you've got something you want to share, shoot me a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm very good about getting back to people. Amazing. I will make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. We talked about so much in terms of confidence, in terms of mindset, in terms of failure, stress, controlling the controllables. Like we went so deep in a variety of subjects. And I think this one is going to really hit home with you. So what I invite you to do is to share your takeaway, tag Alan, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.